Good evening. This is Karen Nutt, Director of Child Development Services with the Braille Institute. I want to welcome you to the Dr. Bill Telephone Series. It is an educational program focusing on pediatric eye conditions for parents, teachers, and other professionals working with young children with visual impairment. The topics presented should not be considered a medical or educational consultation, but information to help us better understand pediatric eye conditions. I would like to introduce Dr. Bill, and thank you, Bill, for being here, and I will hand it over. Thank you very, very much, Karen. It's really a significant and a tremendous pleasure to be able to speak to you and to all the people out there today. Uh, the topic of tonight's discussion is vision development. And this topic of vision development is something that is very, very interesting. And for many people, they often say, what do you mean, vision development? I thought that when you were born, a child is born with their eyes and they have vision or that they don't. And the reality of it is that through research, we now know that vision is a skill that is learned and developed. What this means is that children, when they are born, the environment that they are raised in directly affects the development of their vision. There were researchers who performed studies where they took perfectly healthy monkeys. And when these monkeys were born, they examined their eyes to make sure that the eyes were healthy. And what they did was with one group of monkeys, they sutured their eyelids shut so that these monkeys could not see anything. And in the other group of monkeys, they allowed these monkeys to have their eyes open. And they allowed them to look at toys and colors and patterns and all of these other types of objects. And weeks later, they then compared what was the vision of the monkeys who had their eyelids sutured versus the monkeys who had their eyelids open. And when they measured the vision of the monkeys with their eyelids open, they found that these monkeys actually had normal vision. They were able to see very, very clearly but when they measured the vision of the monkeys who had their eyelids sutured closed, they found that those monkeys were actually blind. You know, they really didn't understand why is it. They then examined the eyes of those blind monkeys, and the eyes themselves looked perfectly fine. So at that particular point in time, they concluded that it must be that vision is something that is controlled by the brain, and that the brain requires visual stimulation and light in order to see. So they then took the research a little bit further, and they said, if we were to take these blind monkeys and we were to stimulate their vision by showing them toys and lights and colors and patterns, would it be possible for their vision to develop and lo and behold, they found that those monkeys who were at one time blind, their vision did develop after they received this type of stimulation. So number one, they concluded 
that vision is dependent on stimulation from the environment. What they then wondered was, can they wait a particular period of time and then still stimulate the blind monkeys and will their vision develop? And what they found was that if they waited too long before they provided the visual stimulation, the blind monkeys who receive visual stimulation, their vision would not develop. And they found that there is a critical time period. This is a time period that if you do present the visual stimulation within this time period, that vision can still develop. And this critical period we now know in humans, it is about seven and a half years. So if a child does have a vision problem, and if we identify that they have a vision problem early, we could recommend and present the visual stimulation, which will then stimulate the different regions of the brain, and vision could then develop. So what does this really mean? What we now know is that it is extremely important that all children will have their first eye examination by six months. Now, the purpose of this eye examination, it is to examine the tissues of the eyes, but more importantly, it is to measure how much vision does this baby have. Now, many people would think that would be so difficult to measure how much vision that a baby has because a baby can't talk. You can't ask it to read the letters on the chart for you, but we do have different types of tools, and one of the things that we use is called the Teller Acuity Cards. And this is a piece of cardboard that's about three feet long by one foot tall. And on one section of the card, there are black and white stripes, and the other sections of the card, it remains strictly gray. So when we present this card in front of a baby, the baby's reaction is to look at the stripes. So if the baby is able to see the stripes, the baby will turn his or her head towards those stripes, and we then know that the baby is able to see that. So it is very, very easy, and it is non-invasive for us to measure what clarity of sight that the child has. Now, during our evaluation at the age of six months, we measure the vision of the child's right eye and the left eye. In other words, we don't just measure their vision with both eyes together. The reason we want to measure the vision of each eye is that if we find that the vision in one eye is much weaker than the vision of the other eye, we then know that we do have to present visual stimulation exercises for that child. And this is something that we could teach the parents to do, and we teach the teachers for the visually impaired how to do these activities. And by implementing these kinds of activities, a uh, baby's vision develops. Now, people will say, how is it that the vision is developing in these children? Is this because is there a muscle that you're strengthening when you're doing these exercises? And the reality is there are muscles around and inside the eye. 
But these muscles are actually much stronger than they actually need to be. And when we are doing visual stimulation, we are actually stimulating the different regions of the brain. The research has taught us that there are many, many different regions of the brain, and these are the different components that are responsible for vision. So the first part that we'll talk about is called the occipital lobe of the brain. And if you were to feel the back of your head and you put your entire hand on the back of your head there, that is the occipital lobe of the brain. And that is where vision takes place. When a person looks at something, the signals are sent to that region of the brain and the brain is then able to identify those types of details. Another region of the brain is called the parietal lobe of the brain. And this is the region of the brain that if you were to imagine that you put a pair of headphones on your head and how the band of the headphone, it goes from one ear over the top of your head and over to the other ear. That is the parietal lobe of the brain which controls the motor function of the body. But it also controls the muscles and the motor skills of the eyes. So if a child has an abnormality to that parietal lobe of the brain, the child may not be able to move their eyes, or they cannot move their eyes to make eye contact with mom. Or if they're learning to play sports, they can't follow a ball with their eyes. Now another region of the brain that is very, very, very important is the very front of the brain, which is called the frontal lobe of the brain. And that is the area that is just behind your forehead there. Now, the frontal lobe of the brain is really involved in a lot of decision-making. And that is called executive functioning. High-level thinking takes place in the frontal lobe of the brain. And the frontal lobe of the brain is also involved in controlling the movement of the eyes when you read. So we see that there are some students who have difficulties reading, and perhaps people think that they have dyslexia. But it may not be dyslexia at all. It may be that the frontal lobe of the brain cannot move the eyes accurately in a left-to-right reading pattern. And as a result, these kids have significant difficulty keeping their place as they read. And the other area of the brain that's also important is what's called the temporal lobes of the brain. These are by the temples on the sides of your head. And the temporal lobes of the brain are very, very important as we think about different types of reading functions. When we look at the left side of the brain, the regions of the left temporal lobe of the brain and the parietal lobe of the brain and the occipital lobe of the brain, all of these different regions are involved in reading. And then when we look at the right ox, uh, temporal lobe of the brain, that's going to be involved in other forms of visualization. And it's also very important in terms of memorizing and recognizing music. And then the last thing that we do know about the brain is that there is also what is called the brain stem. And the brain stem is the region of the brain that connects the brain to the spinal cord, 
which goes down the back. And in the brainstem, we have 12 pairs of cranial nerves. And these cranial nerves are really very and very important for sustaining life. Some of these different cranial nerves are directly related to vision. So cranial nerve, what's called number three, it's called the oculomotor nerve, which controls the movement of the eyes. Cranial nerve number four controls another set of movement of the eyes. Cranial nerve number five, it actually senses pain to the front of the eyes. Number six, it allows the eyes to move outward towards the right or towards the left ear. Cranial nerve number seven, it controls the muscles of the face and it allows us to blink our eyes and protect the eyes. And number eight is involved in the auditory system. So we could see that of the 12 cranial nerves, a great percentage of these nerves are directly involved in vision. So what does all of this mean? What it means is that two-thirds of the brain is involved in the process of vision. So when we see a child who has a vision impairment, it's not only important that we examine their eyes, but we actually evaluate the function of different regions of the brain so we could determine what is needed to be treated for these kids. So the question then becomes, who should be examining the vision of these children at the age of six months? Should it be an ophthalmologist? Should it be an optometrist? Should it be a neurologist? And the answer to that is that it really depends. In many cases, if a child is born and it is identified that the child has many types of developmental delays and other problems, it may be that the child is seen by a neurologist right away. Children who have seizure disorders are very frequently going to be seen by the neurologist, and they will look at these different functions of the brain. Now, the ophthalmologist is the person who is going to examine the tissues of the eyes most carefully. There are some ophthalmologists that are called neuro-ophthalmologists. So if we see that the newborn baby has vision problems along with neurological problems, a neuro-ophthalmologist may be the person who comes in. But at the age of six months, we then recommend that it will be a developmental optometrist who examines the child. Now, the developmental optometrist is different than the conventional optometrist in that the developmental optometrist has experience and studies the development of vision. We talked about how vision is something that can be developed. Remember when we talked about those monkeys who had their eyes sutured shut and were blind? later develop vision when they received visual stimulation. It is the developmental optometrist that will prescribe the different activities that parents and teachers and therapists could perform 
with the child who has low vision. And it is so, so wonderful to see how these children, many of them who are born legally blind, develop such high levels of vision. And I'll never forget the first time that one of my patients, when he was so young, we had identified this child as being legally blind due to neurological vision impairment. The child wasn't breathing properly at birth, and the brain was impaired. And that child received vision stimulation, and his vision improved. And one day, one day, 16 years later, he came to the office, and he said, Dr. Bill, I got my driver's license. <laughs> it was so wonderful. And I remembered how sad his parents were before and how low and how poor his vision was. So we want the developmental optometrist to evaluate the child first so that we can perform the baseline examination to find out what is the child able to see and what are the child's visual strengths and weaknesses. The first thing that we look at is what is the child's clarity of sight? If the child is looking at something, what is the smallest detail that the child is able to see? And this is also called visual acuity. Now, when a child is born, the newborn with normal vision and healthy eyes, these children are really only able to see at a distance of 8 to 16 inches. If there is something that is four or five feet away, their eyes are not able to focus at that distance. So we know that for the newborn, it's very important that we put all of those decorations very close to the child's crib so that it's within eight to 16 inches. We also know that the child is able to see things approximately one inch in height or about the size of a person's eyeballs. So we know that just biologically speaking, a newborn child's eyes are designed to make eye contact with a mother or father who is carrying him and her. So one of the best ways to provide visual stimulation for a newborn child is to simply to carry your child, hold your child at that distance, and look at your child, and move your head Move your head from side to side. Be in a well-lit room so that the child has that experience to see you. When the child is receiving that type of visual stimulation, the signals from the eyes are sent through the optic nerve. And the optic nerve is the nerve that connects the eye to the back of the brain, the occipital lobe of the brain that we talked about. And as a child has more and more experiences, the cells in the occipital lobe of the brain develop. And there are more and more connections that are being made in the occipital lobe of the brain. And as a child grows older, the child then begins to develop better sight. And the child begins to develop the ability to focus at a distance further than 16 inches. And it really isn't until the child is closer to about 
two years of age that the child will have what is called 20-20 vision. So what this means is that all babies, all babies have reduced vision. Their clarity of sight is not as good as that of an adult during the first two years of life. And it is very important that we present all of the visual stimuli to help them to develop vision within a close distance. But as a child reaches two to three years of age, we then begin to notice that their vision improves and they could focus on things at a much further range. Another thing that we know is that along with the visual acuity comes color vision. So when babies are born, babies do not have the normal color vision that an adult has. The cells that are inside the eye that respond to color, they're not quite yet developed. So if you were to show a baby toys that are made out of black and white, high contrast, these are toys that are much more interesting and much more stimulating to newborn children. And as the children get to be to the age of three to four months, they then begin to develop the ability to see the primary colors. And as a child reaches their first year birthday, that is then when the child is able to see most of these types of colors. So early on, it's very, very good to use the black and white toys, use obstacle courses that you might use, make out of black and white, and let the child try to crawl through these all the way through that first year of life. But after the age of one, we can then begin to incorporate the use of different types of colors and to put things at a further distance. Another thing that you probably notice is that when you make eye contact with your baby, it is really remarkable when you do notice that the child does make eye contact. Now, children who have low vision, they may not make eye contact. Or some children who have vision problems, you may notice that their eyes shake from side to side. That is called nystagmus. For the first month of life, it may be common that the child has difficulty making eye contact. But as time proceeds, you may find that their ability to make eye contact improves. And that's a very good game to do, where you hold your baby at 8 inches and then at 12 inches and bring the baby closer to 8 inches where the child is going to continue to try to make eye contact. And as the child grows older, you may then observe how the eye contact has improved. You'll also notice that the child's ability to move the eyes is very poor at birth. In fact, most children, if they are going to try and look at you, they will move their head rather than moving their eyes. They don't have that ability to move their eyes very, very easily. So the first two to three months, you'll notice the child is moving his or her head to try to locate you. Or if you have other toys you're putting in front of her, she may move her head to try and look at that. But as time goes on and we get closer towards six months of age, you may then notice that the eyes are then beginning to move. 
And this type of eye movement where the eyes are following a moving object, this is called a pursuit. And these types of pursuit eye movements will continue to develop. And during the first five years of life, the accuracy of these eye movements will continue to improve. So it's very important that when you're with a child that you move toys and you sort of tease them. You could use little pen lights or you could use other toys or maybe you have a colorful coffee cup. Anything at all that the child is interested in looking at, you could move it and move it again and encourage the child to follow it. And as children develop these better types of eye movement skills, it really will help them if they're going to be involved in different types of sports. Another type of eye movement is what's called the saccade. And a saccade is when we're not really following a moving object, but we just shift our eyes from one target to another. It's almost as though that you are looking at the traffic light when you're at a stoplight in the road, and then you're looking over there at the corner where you see somebody that you're wondering if, hey, is that is that Brad Pitt? I don't know. And so you scan at Brad Pitt, and then you scan at the traffic light. You're just moving your eyes voluntarily from one point to another. That is called a saccade. And this is a type of eye movement that is very, very important as we get involved with reading. So it's very common that we will give parents exercises to do to develop these eye movements, and we'll do these types of exercises and things all the way up until the child is seven and a half. Why seven and a half? Because seven and a half is usually the age that these types of saccadic eye movements for reading are normally developed. Now, another type of eye movement that's also very important that we don't think about is eye coordination. You know, we have two eyes, and both eyes need to point exactly at the same place that the other eye is pointing. If one eye is pointing slightly off in another direction, then the child is going to see double vision. So when the eyes are not properly aligned, this is called strabismus, and it causes a child to see double vision. And children who have double vision, they often will turn their head towards their left or their right, or they may even cover one eye to eliminate the double vision. This type of eye coordination skills usually doesn't begin to develop until about 12 months of age. The first 12 months, it may be that the child's eyes are not aligned. And the doctors will often wait before they do any type of eye muscle surgery. But when we do see children who do have a misaligned eye, we will incorporate vision exercises that they do with their family or with their therapists and teachers early on. And this is a way that we could often straighten the eyes and the child will not have to undergo surgery. Other times, if you see eyes that are crossed, where the eyes are both going inward towards the nose, this is often an indication that the child needs glasses to correct for farsightedness. 
many children, when they're born, their eyes are still small, and their eyes then have to focus harder in order to see more clearly. When they try to focus hard, the muscle inside the eye pulls and it results in the eyes crossing. So for these children, we can immediately straighten their eyes by simply giving them glasses that correct for the farsightedness. And in many cases, as these kids grow older, the farsightedness gets better, and in many cases, they won't even need glasses later on. So during the, these first year of life, there's many, many changes that are happening with respect to the way that the child can focus and how the child can move the eyes and how the child coordinates the eyes. But the other thing that is happening is that as a child is able to see objects and the child begins to see different shapes and the child sees different faces of people, the visual regions of the brain begin to learn, and that is called visual perception. So this is what is so amazing, is that as a child is looking at every object in the home, or the child is looking at all these different images on television, or the child is looking at all these different types of items to eat and to drink, the brain is learning all of these visual items. And during the first five years of life, studies have estimated that as much as 80% of what a child learns during the first five years of life comes through these visual experiences. So this is why it is so important that we pay close attention to vision and we maximize a child's vision by prescribing glasses, the proper lighting, using different visual aids. Sometimes we use magnification, and we do different types of activities to stimulate the vision. As a child grows older, from years two, three, and four, and five, they begin to develop visual memory. They recognize that they have seen something before. And they remember it, and they remember what that does or what that tastes like or what kind of sound that makes. And this type of visual memory development is so important so that the child will later learn to identify numbers and letters and shapes and colors when they're in school. They also learn how to assemble parts to create a whole object. And this is why it's very important that children at a young age are exposed to puzzles because the puzzles will teach them the relationship between one object and another. And as children learn to assemble puzzles, this prepares them for writing. They could understand how if you assemble a straight line and a curve to it, it makes the letter D. But if they don't understand that parts could be put together to create a whole, this whole idea of printing and drawing is something that is very, very difficult for them. Another visual perception skill that parents can perform during these early years is to play sort of like a hide-and-seek game where we may put toys and other objects 
all across the floor, but within there, we might put their bottle, or we might put their favorite stuffed animal, so that the child learns to locate an object within a crowded background. This is called figure ground discrimination. And this is very, very important because it allows a child, when the child is later learning to read, to keep his or her eye on the word, even though that there's all these other words on the paragraph. So all in all, there are many, many different types of activities that we will recommend for children. And these are activities that we even recommend for children who have perfect, healthy eyes. These kinds of games and activities promote the development of the visual centers of the brain, and it literally makes them visually smarter. And as kids grow up older, we incorporate different types of activities. And we often do things to help a child who is really interested in becoming a better athlete. One of the things that's very popular among professional baseball players is called sports vision therapy, where we do different exercises to help these baseball players to see the ball faster and to judge the depth of where the ball is. But we also will do these kinds of same activities for children who have vision impairment to help them to compensate for their visual difficulties. And all in all, it's very, very effective, and it's something that teachers, other therapists, and parents can participate, and this is something that is very, very helpful in developing the child's vision to his or her fullest. So, all in all, we do recommend, again, as a reminder, number one, the research shows that vision is developed. If you have a child who has low vision and you just keep the child in a darkened room in a crib, the child's vision will not develop as much as if you were to do these activities. Number two, you want to make an appointment with a developmental optometrist at the age of six months to determine what are the child's visual strengths and weaknesses and to give you the different exercises and things to do. And number three, you and your family and the therapists and teachers can participate in all of these games. They're just simply fun and games that will affect the development of the child's vision to enable that child to see so much better. So I thank you very much for all of your attention this evening, and I hope that you'll join us next month when we provide you with more information on vision development. For Braille Institute, this is Dr. Bill Takeshita. Thank you very much.